Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, my name is Mike Casaza from Earsports.com. I'd like to call to the stand today, Mr. Chris Anderson. A surprise witness. I, I, I didn't even know I was going to be here on the stand. Please wait for me to ask the question, sir. <laughs> Mr. Anderson, uh, have we discussed any of about what is about to follow here? No. Have I provided you with any of the questions? No. Since the 12.30 hour on Tuesday afternoon, how many recruits have you heard from regarding social situations at West Virginia? Zero. Since the 12.30 hour of Tuesday, how many players have you heard from regarding the social situations at West Virginia? Uh, outside of some I support Carrie's right to say this on Twitter, uh, the answer is zero. I've not heard, personally heard from anybody. Mr. Anderson, how many high school coaches have you heard from since the 1230 hour on Tuesday afternoon about the social situation at West Virginia? Zero. Is today, Friday, June 26, 2020? Yes. No further questions. I think I get your point here, Mike. I'm wondering if it's intentionally quiet by some sort of edict from the head coach or the athletic director that was laid down in a team meeting on Tuesday afternoon. And I'm wondering if we kind of have a draw play here where there's a delay and there's eventually some action here, perhaps as soon as this afternoon, likely before we publish the story, if we know our track record, but also if this is just kind of simmered a little bit. And I think more and more, I wonder has this risen to the level of concern and requirement for action that the initial tweet seemed to um, indicate was going to follow? Um, I had plenty of conversations, interactions with, let's just say, people on Tuesday. Probably not a surprise. Some of the reporting we did was pretty close to the action. But since then, it's been quiet. I mean, not a parent, not a player, not – I've had – schools i've had people i know at other schools but not to throw dirt on anybody or at anybody but just to say what the heck's going on but i think when you look at a situation like this you kind of figure people are going to come out of the cornfields and say i got a story have you seen this have you heard about this and it hasn't happened at all what do we make of that if anything chris i think and, and this is just me guessing here because i i was thinking the same thing as you we've seen these stories uh pop up in the past where there is a something about a player we saw it with Mike Gundy uh, for instance and we've seen it with other coaches if they get involved other players are going to speak up not just now not just current players but especially coaches that have been around for a while you're going to hear stories from the past they're going to tweet they're going to make comments Vic Koning has been coaching a long time at a lot of different places and not one person has had a similar story in 30 years. It seems like it seems hard to believe this day and age that 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 would be the case. Uh, and I feel like if there was somebody wronged by Bitcoining or somebody that had a similar story, they would have definitely spoken up about this. It's not the same situation, but I turned back the clock 10 summers to really write about now in 2010 when the first Bill Stewart, Dana Holgerson, situation popped up and the clear indication from the reporting then was that Stewart was torpedoing the coaching transition and the initial story went out about 
the university had paused the completion of his contract or the finalization of his contract because it had to figure out where are all these stories about Holgerson coming from. You had sordid tales and papers in Huntington and in Wheeling, unattributed sourcing, rumors, stuff like that, but it was kind of specific in different corners of the state, overlapped a little bit. So you do some investigation there and you do some reporting and you kind of figure out something is coming from a pretty specific and, and intimate direction. The call is coming from inside the house, so to speak. And everybody says, whoa, 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 whoa. We can't let this guy be the coach until we find out if somebody on his staff is doing this. Is he involved? Is he coordinating? Is he responsible? Nothing happens. And as soon as that story goes out, text, phone calls, emails, people who have had similar experiences, people who have heard crosswords or phrases, people who have heard a lot of this conversation from inside of the football building. Again, passes prologue. It's not the same. I get it. But it is relevant because sometimes when you put a little bit out there, it's meant to be like a Pied Piper of stories and support and evidence, and it hasn't happened yet. And again, it could very well be Neil Brown and Shane Lyons telling players, hey, pipe down, enough is enough right now. Let this investigation run its course and figure it out. It ultimately could mean there's nothing there. It ultimately could mean everybody's being quiet and they're being interviewed and giving over, I don't know, evidentiary support to what Kerry Martin had claimed. Who knows? But it's been really quiet, which means this is calm. We know what happens after the calm. Um, I'm not going to speculate on what's going to happen, but the noisiest thing to me since the initial thunderclap here was Vic, what is it, Wednesday night, his statement. Mm -hmm. Interestingly, I sent you a text on this right away when it happened. Of course, I was out of the house when this happened, so you frantically text me, oh my gosh. I shouldn't say, oh my gosh. Uh, I, got the, I got the Vic thing, don't worry about it, but it was clearly one of those things where we were both probably up to something else and not near our phones when it happened, uh -huh. as, as happens. But it, it seemed right away weird to me that it wasn't emails to you and me or to anybody else in the media. It wasn't posted on WVUsports.com. It wasn't a press release from the university. It was a screenshot or a tweet. of a, It was a screenshot used on Twitter of something he had typed up and written or his people had typed up and written. I'm sure he has representation right now. As he probably always has. He's a coach. I'm sure he has an agent. And you have agents to handle things like this. It's not the ideal situation, but that's why they're there. But it was really done independently. The university didn't sanction it, didn't tell them to do it, didn't promote it. Um, I use the phrase online that it wasn't an end around, but he's not exactly taking a knee, which is probably not the right phrase to use these days. <laughs> I understand. So we're going to say it wasn't an end around, but he's not running off the clock here. I think that's a guy who was probably tired of not being defended or of having one side of the story come out and had to ask. And in defense of West Virginia and Neil Brown, I'm sure that if they wanted to support him, they would have. But you really can't do anything on behalf of a person who's on administrative leave. Vic probably realized that and said, quiet is killing me right now. I got to do something. But that's pretty much the last note on this. Yeah, I'm going to break up your comments there into two parts. The first part about not a lot going on here. Uh, people staying quiet, people not talking about it. For me, it's kind of refreshing because we said it as yes. soon as this came out. Hey, um, you know, all these incidents are going to have other people around. So everybody just chill out. Stop taking sides yet because I feel like more information is coming. We're going to get other witnesses in here. They're, the school is going to get to the bottom of this. We, uh, I mean, you and I aren't investigating this. The, the school is, a third party is, excuse me, not the school, I guess. But it, it, let's wait and see. And I 
<laughs> obviously, uh, if anybody's checked the message board or Twitter or Facebook, not everybody's following that. But I feel like a lot of people are. It's kind of refreshing. Let's wait and see what happens because it seems seems to me that both sides kind of want to work it out. When it first happened, I was like, no matter what they find, I feel like one of the two is going to leave uh, the program. But it seems like both have respect for each other and want it to work out. Kerry has been on record responding to people on Twitter that he does not want Vic Koning fired. Vic Koning is on uh, in his um, release, I guess we can call it, as he said, his tweet said he has a ton of respect for Kerry and wants to work it out. And so I think there is a mutual interest here in keeping everything together and working this out and talking it out. Um, so that's good. And the second part, yeah, about there not being any support for Koning, about Koning not getting the school, excuse me, not 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 any support, but the school not sending it out. I, I'm with you 100%. The school can't. If they're going to say that we're doing an independent investigation and we don't want to you know, have our thumb on the scales in any way, shape, or form, they have to completely and totally throw their hands back and say, we're out of this. We are out of this. All the coaches. They're like, hey, I didn't see anybody retweeting or favoriting or sharing Vic Koning's tweet. They can't. You can't do it. Like, you wish you could. Maybe they're saying it in private, but they can't. And and that's why it's not going to be released by the school. It's not why, why you're not going to see any quote-unquote support for that tweet right now. Let me stop you there. It's a really good point. I think it's logical and it's obvious. I don't mean to say that to disarm your argument because I think you're right. But from about that same time, Martin hasn't said anything on the matter. Players have not said anything on the matter. Anything that's even related to it is mostly general at-large societal observations that are related to the similar situations that are happening um, due, to, due to you know racial situations, police injustice, stuff like that, just kind of continuing what's been a longer conversation. Obviously, the university hasn't said anything about it. And Neil Brown's appeared in public, or as public as you can be on Zoom in your home office, but um, started about a half an hour conversation saying, can't talk about it, won't, and deflected one question at the end of his news conference, answered as best as he could another about just the process about what happens when a player does have an issue. By and large, really quiet. Reason? As you explained, hey, let the investigation happen. Do not otherwise affect it um, with public actions with public thoughts with public opinions here and if you have evidence hey just share it with whoever investigates what then do we think of vic going out there and saying um i'm not the bad person that people say i am um, i have made mistakes i'm not perfect but i want to get better and i look forward to speaking to carrie martin I, I think a senate can look at that and say it's exactly what you don't want to have happen when you're in um you know a, a silent period if there's a gag order if there's a moratorium on speaking in a situation like this. I feel ah, like, I got you, didn't I? <laughs> a little bit. Uh, Cause I feel like, I mean, it seems like, again, we're, I'm, we're trying to extrapolate feelings and thoughts right. of people uh, from tweets and it, it but it, I'll tr give it a try. Uh, and it, it just seems to me like Vic Koning is hurt by the way he's being perceived uh, publicly uh, through social media, things people are saying, because um, I, I there I don't believe I, I'm trying to remember correctly here, but I don't remember there were anything from Kerry saying specifically, "Hey, Vic Koning is a racist." And I mean, I think he said, you know, there are some comments that were insensitive, some comments that had some racial undertones to it, 
and he didn't care for it. And I think, but people see it, they see the complaints, they expound on it, make it bigger and worse than it actually is. And it, it's hurting him, it seems like. And that's why I feel like he, he or why he felt the need to kind of step out there and say something. Hey, hey speaking of, of silence, uh, I believe the day before we were about to have that Zoom meeting with Neil Brown, you said, you predicted it. You said, I'm going to see it coming. They're going to release a statement and say something right before the Zoom about how they can't comment in it, and I'm going to be on that Zoom call. No one's going to see me, but I'm going to be kicking and screaming. Um, did did Neil Brown or Mike Montoro <laughs> zap you before we got on there? What happened to you? Uh, we, we didn't have video, but I feel like you, you got restrained in some way. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm older. I'm more mature now. I did run my hands through my flowing hair and just kind of sigh because – I wish you could have a conversation about it because when are you going to have the conversation? Because what inevitably happens now is Koenig is fired. He resigns or he's retained. And then there's a statement that puts a punctuation mark on it and says, we're not talking about this anymore. We're going to move forward. And and listen, I'm media. I'm all for transparency and I'm all for conversation. It's ultimately up to the responsibility of the people who are involved in it. And I don't think you can trust everybody with that responsibility. I get that. I don't think it doesn't mean that you can't, invite the people who you can trust to those conversations. Um, I'm an idealist on that. I think you should be able to talk to any player, never mind if he's a freshman or a guy who barely plays. But So I'm always going to be at odds with situations like that. Um, I'm not dumb, though. I understand that there are times and places and there are situations you can't. And once that investigation starts, you really can't do it, which kind of made me raise my eyebrow a little bit about Koenig's statement because it did seem to be going against the grain a little bit, too. I, I will say this. Um the two questions that were related to the incident were, I, I think, benign. One was basically like, listen, not specific about what happened on Tuesday, but in situations like Tuesday, how does it go? Um, and I, I think you could tell by Neil's answer that there really isn't a defined process. And I think he kind of said, do we have to get better at that? Maybe, and we will. And I think I wrote about that earlier in the week is that if you're going to tell these players that, hey, you can market yourself and you can brand and this and that, that's going to lead to certain situations maybe not necessarily like this. I don't think the university is pushing people to aim arrows at assistant coaches, but Hey, if you see injustice, if you see a wrong and you want to write it, Hey, you have all the power now and we're going to teach you how to use social media and how to use your brand identity to do that. But these kids don't know how to do it yet. They haven't been taught that. So I think that's a responsibility for the university. But anyways, it was a good question, I think. And Neil gave his best an answer. The other one was like, who's doing Vic's job right now? I don't understand why that wasn't answered. Um, because I like that not... question. I, I audibly was like, wow, great question. Uh, yeah. Sorry for whoever said, whoever asked it. I forgot, but I, whoever asked it, I was like, Ooh, good question. Um, do you believe like it was Alan Saunders from one of the affiliate West Virginia now, I think, or West Virginia sports now? Okay. I, I don't know, but I believe it was Alan Saunders. Um, anyways, a good question because again, that's functional. I don't, I don't know why that wasn't answered except that like, there's probably not a whole lot going on and, that's about the best I can tell. I don't know. Um, and maybe Neil doesn't like to say, I don't have a plan for that yet, but it was interesting to me there that that was as far as we went. Um, but anyways, I would say with pretty near certainty that Dana Holgerson would have been challenged. Bill Stewart would have been challenged. I mean, he was when he wouldn't talk about Brandon Hogan's arrest and suspension once. And so I'm not going to talk about it. We didn't care. We wanted answers. So we went and we got it. And it got contentious. Uh, Rich Rodriguez told us that he would shut down a press conference once if we asked about him in Michigan and we dared him and asked and asked and he continued to go on because he wanted to talk. So 
there are times and places where you can do that. I think there's a difference between the relationship or at least the level of respect um, for the situation when it comes to people involved there that just existed yesterday. Eh, probably didn't exist in the same capacity um, years and years before. So that's a good sign. I mean, the guy's been, I'll admit it. <laughs> Granted, I have breakfast with him every other Tuesday at Apple Annie's, but he, he does have a good rapport with the media and he does say and do the right things. And he's been very open. And sometimes when you do that stuff, it does pay off. Hey, make sure you bleep out the Apple Annie's till we get oh. that paycheck paycheck in our hand, okay? We, we don't give endorsements around here without money. <laughs> Let's move on to um, football that I was going to say will be happening. Shoot, I don't know. Football that is planned to happen. Um, yeah. Earlier Tuesday, we had mentioned that we had received our ballots for the order of finish in the Big 12 and the all-conference teams, player of the year and newcomer of the year for offense and defense from the Big 12 that will be cobbled together and released for media day next month and unaware that our time and our attention would be preoccupied as it has been since then we post this online and encourage people to go it's kind of a fun exercise because you'll discover certain things about not only the offenses and defenses but the teams which kind of helps you fill in the order to finish kind of go backwards on this a little bit um, but it's a fun experiment it's a good way to get educated on what you have in the big 12 coming up and completely overwhelmed by everything else that happened here. But I do encourage you to go check it out. Um, I don't know. I'll probably reposition it in the carousel and make sure people can see it. Maybe um, a link in the podcast too, but go take a stab at all conference offensive defense, your order of finish and your award winners, as well as who is going to represent West Virginia, two players. Um, we don't know yet, but two players who will be there on the virtual media day next month. But my way of spinning it back to, stuff that we can talk about without having to fret about the future of your immediate program, the next tweet, the next controversy that comes your way. It's just picking guys for running back positions, offensive line positions, uh, how many corners and how many safeties do you put in the secondary? Those are the controversies I want to have with you, Chris. Can we do that? Yeah, absolutely. All right. Um, I don't want to do order or finish yet, one through ten, because I just don't know. Um, there's, there's a lot of question marks for me and you and I have talked about this like one, two and three, we kind of all agree. It's going to be in some order, Oklahoma, Oklahoma state, Texas, four through eight question mark. And then nine, 10, I think we kind of all agree. It could be in one of the other Kansas state, Texas tech, but heck people might have them higher in like the, the five to eight range. Cause that's so muddy. And honestly, like four through 10 is, I mean, four could finish 10 in my pool and I wouldn't be surprised. Um, so I'm just not ready to have that conversation yet. Is that okay with you? Or do you want to share with the world your order of finish? No, that is okay with me. I'll say that you, you broke it down into kind of three tiers there. I somewhat, I kind of similar. I still, uh, despite some offensive, I don't want to go crazy and say firepower. Um, but have Kansas in that bottom tier with Kansas state and Texas tech. I just, I mean, when you're conditioned to watch Kansas do what Kansas has done for, what, 19 of the last 20 years, I I can't give them the benefit of the doubt yet to put them in that middle tier with the other teams. But other than that, I think we have the same tiers and, and, and kind of have to jumble some guys around. I'm glad you mentioned offensive firepower because as I'm putting the conference teams together, I was stunned by how good their offense should be. <laughs> Like, I, I, I'm still not sure what they're going to figure out at quarterback, but yeah. I let's put it this way. Uh, Puka Williams was one of my running backs, and I considered 
uh, multiple wide receivers, I think, right? Yeah, two of them, Robinson and um, – crap, I'm, I'm blanking on the other. But I had two in contention. I didn't pick them, but I had them right there in my mix for – because we only pick first team, just for those who don't know. We don't mm-hmm. pick second, third, and all that. So they should have some weapons. They have six quarterbacks in their roster. Hmm. And they're all okay. different. Like, here's a six-five guy who's a Division One transfer. Here's a five-foot-ten guy who can do a bit of a dual-threat thing. Here's a junior college guy. I mean, just I – don't, I don't know what they'll do, but they'll find out something here. Um, I, we probably shouldn't give away our full list yet. No. But I think we can talk about positions. And, and there are some that are obvious, I think, but there are some that's, that's good conversation. Example, quarterback. Mm-hmm. It's going to be Ellinger, right? Is it? Here we go. Because yeah. – you could very easily talk about Brock Purdy. Mm-hmm. That's a that's I where mean, that's I went. Not, Let's go ahead so, and get that out of the way. That's fine. I, I think I don't think there's a doubt that the media is going to vote Ellinger in just because right. of where the votes are and everything. But I mean, you can do a side by side, and you can also project what they're going to do this year and say that Ellinger um, isn't going to blow away Purdy, or that Purdy may have more around him offensively is that fair i don't i don't even know mm. he's got great receivers a pretty good running back a great tight end a decent offensive line that's always going to get better um I, I think there could be a lot for him to um a, a lot of evidence and a lot of support you can get for him to be your pick but i think it'll probably be ellinger i don't i don't disagree i i picked purdy and and knowing darn good and well that i would probably be in the minority when those preseason teams come out i'm right with you can I ask you why you pick him? I mean, I'm picking Ellinger because I think he's probably um, as eh, maybe not as far as the quarterback position, probably as responsible for the offense's production just because he runs so much on third downs and in the red zone, um, passes a lot. I think he's going to miss Devern- Devin DeVernay this year, but he's got weapons around him too. But um, why would you put Purdy over him? So I had just like you said, I kind of stacked him up uh, against each other and. Their numbers are strikingly similar. Um, Purdy's got a couple hundred more yards passing, a little higher completion rate, a little higher yards per pass, uh, similar touchdown interception ratio, and similar rushing touchdowns, although Ellinger has a little bit more rushing yardage. And the, the kind of key for me was that I see Purdy – with a few more weapons, I think he retained more of his weapons from last year. As you mentioned, mm-hmm. um, Texas, you know, Ellinger's going to lose his top two wide receivers. And I felt I was extremely high on both of those wideouts. I mean, when you have two wideouts that are six, six and can make all these amazing catches. And if you watch those games, me personally, I feel like so many of those catches, so many of those yards they made were the receivers making the plays rather than the quarterback making the plays. And so I think, his playmakers and the guys helping him around him are going to take a step back, which is going to hurt his stats. And Purdy is going to build on that connection, especially with, um, uh, I like their tight end a lot. Kolar, Kohler, Charlie Kohler. Mm-hmm, yeah. Um, I, I think, I think you could see Purdy put up another 4,000 yards, 30 touchdowns and, and run for 10 touchdowns. And honestly, that's not, you know, that that's a few yards, three passing touchdowns and two rushing touchdowns more than he had last year. So it's <laughs> far from inconceivable. And if you're going to put up those kind of numbers, you're going to be in contention for that, that quarterback of the year or first team all quarterback. Iowa state's got like a, a potential five touchdown a game offense. Yeah. I think so. And if he's pulling the trigger, that could be good. Uh, 
Ellinger has to replace 106 receptions, 1,386 yards, nine touchdowns, and probably two or three, holy cow, plays a game from DuVernay. Um, and he was a freak, man, to be that big and that good. Um, boy, he was fun to watch, and that's just a guy that he's going to miss, too. Colin Johnson, too, was the other guy. What, 6'6", 200? Yeah. God, he played like 280 pounds, but he was, I mean, just a nightmare for people. And they, they've recruited pretty well. Jake Smith is there. Um, trying to think of who their other receiver was there. That was a pretty good player. Uh, Eagles, Eagles is pretty Brandon good. Brandon Eagles. Yeah. Yeah. Is he going to play, though? I don't know. So we'll see. Anyways, um, running back is going to have some differences, too. I believe I heard you say Puka Williams. Mm-hmm. Your other one is obviously Chuba Hubbard. Yes. Other names that you have to consider. Kennedy Brooks is back at Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. Uh, Brees Hall was very good at Iowa State as a freshman. And part of that, again, five touchdown a game offense, maybe. And then Keontae Ingram is back at Texas. Now, he may be in a bit of a timeshare this year because they've recruited pretty well the past couple of years, and he hasn't. I mean, he had a chance to really take the position because they weren't great at running back the past couple of years. But um, is it by John Robinson? Is he there now? Like, what, a five-star recruit? Is he going to yeah. be the guy all by himself anymore? Probably not because you get a guy like that, you got to play him. But um, it seems like those five will be getting most of the votes. That wouldn't you agree? I think so, that's yeah. half the conference, I guess. So bold statement there, but <laughs> yeah, I think I, I didn't even consider anybody else. I thought I had Hubbard in there and Puka Williams. I kind of went back and forth between him and Kennedy Brooks. Uh, it, it's just that kind of age old question. Are you going to rely on the guy who's already done it? Uh, which I guess kind of both of them have, but Puka was first team all big 12 last year. And, and Brooks was not, or the guy that you project will be the best. And, and I'm trying to project. So I seriously, I had Brooks on there for a while because for some reason, as I, I went in order, I was thinking there was a uh, utility spot. And I was like, oh, I'll just put Puka there. Mm-hmm. And then when I realized there was not a utility spot, I kind of came back and had that debate between Puka Williams and um, Kennedy Brooks ultimately deciding on Puka Williams for first team because I felt like he might be carrying a bigger load and um, uh, Brooks might be kind of sharing the spotlight with Spencer Rattler because I'm I'm a Rattler believer. I, I mm-hmm. believe he can kind of keep that offense flowing. Just for a second here, when you think about Iowa State's offense, you think about these plotting offenses that run the quarterback a lot and hit a deep pass. Uh, Hall ran for 897 and nine touchdowns last year. He averaged 4.8 yards per carry. Um, so he, he definitely got it going during the year, but his game log was crazy. He was hot in the middle of the season, 132, 183, 76, 110, 101, 97. And I think people forgot, like he went flat at the end of the year, 59 against Kansas State in a loss and 55 in a bowl game against a really good Notre Dame defense too. But um, I mentioned that, but his first five games of the year, like that middle part I just read was great. But he wasn't the guy at the start of the year. 47 yards, one carry, no yards. Five carries, 35 yards. DMP, one carry, two yards. He heated up against West Virginia. He came out of nowhere in that game. 26 carries, 132 yards. Three touchdowns. Um, and that was kind of his arrival there. And maybe maybe I have a bias from watching that game and going, oh, my gosh. But he followed it up and played pretty well that year. Um, a guy at the end of the season, I think, who could really open eyes and, and be there at the end if that offense does follow through, too. Similarly tricky, trying to narrow things down. Uh, we're going to start with probably an obvious pick, but then the other spots are difficult. We get to pick three receivers. Clearly, Tylen Wallace, don't forget, he's still back. And then I have on my list four or five other guys, um, including our first possible West Virginia inclusion. 
I don't have Sam James in, but when you look at the returning talent in the conference, he was more productive than many of the people that I think are going to get ahead of him. It's not that he's a bad player either. I just don't think he's got the name recognition quite yet. But Wallace, for sure. Um, who are some of the people you consider for those other spots? Rambo from Oklahoma was yeah, a certainty for me. Um, I think he's going to pick up the vast majority of CD Lambs. Uh, they're, they're two different types of receivers, but I feel like he's going to get the vast majority of the targets there in the passing game. And then for me, it was it was Wallace, like definite number one, Rambo kind of a definite number two. And then I could have gone 10 different directions uh, for number three because a, a lot of the best receivers are gone uh, from last year. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm with you. I, I thought about Sam James. I've seen him in a couple preseason teams uh, from other outlets or second team or whatever. But I kind of feel like West Virginia's wide receiving core is a little – uh, deeper, and he may not be that guy that's going to get 100 catches for 1,000 yards. He might be a guy that is really darn good but has to share the load a little bit and ends up with you know, 50 catches for 700 yards or something like that. So I think, and again, I don't want to go through every single pick I had, but that was the toughest. That was not the toughest spot for me, I don't think, on the whole team, but – something I had to uh, think about for a while and kind of look at a bunch of different options. I want to go back to the Kansas offense that was surprisingly good because they mm-hmm. have two guys who you could really consider for one or two spots even. But last year, um, their offense was obviously behind a lot and they had to throw it a lot. So you're maybe going to have a lot more receptions there. But Andrew Parchment, 65 catches, 831 yards, seven touchdowns. And Stephon Robinson, 45 catches, 727 yards, and eight touchdowns. And he was kind of a big play guy. Those are two names you got to think about. Sam James, you have to think about. Um, I'm not sure any one of them would get in. Tyquan Thornton from Baylor is kind of a freaking nature, like a six foot three sprinter who was a big play waiting to happen last year. And then, and Rambo's the guy, but they've recruited receivers so well in the last couple of years that uh, who knows? I mean, Hazelwood's out there, Weiss is out there. Um, actually, is Weiss hurt? I think he might be out for the year. Probably uh, should have done that one. <laughs> but, um, but like, th- there's a lot of talent here that we just don't yet know about. And um, yeah, two I think are probably pretty easy just because they've already kind of produced at a high level. But uh, it'll be interesting to see how those votes shake out for the third spot. You get to pick three. Um, what won't Can be I interesting? Ask you a question? Yeah, oh, sorry. Ahead. All right. I, it, it's about the next group. It's about the next position group. Mm-hmm. And did you consider Josh Sills? Um, offensive line. Have you seen how good that line is, though? Yeah, the option for the Big 12? No, I mean, Oklahoma State's oh, Oklahoma line. State, yeah. So are I mean, you he, thinking he might not even start? I'd be surprised if he didn't because they have a spot of guard they need. Um, uh-huh. But their tackles and one of their guards are really good. Their center is a returning starter, I believe. Um, like That's a really good line. Is he the best player on that line? I don't know because I do think there's a handful of really good um, – a really good um, – like all conference quality players right there. So that could be, could be troublesome for him to leapfrog guys and make it work. I don't know, but he's, he's not on my all conference, but cause he didn't play last year and wasn't, he was what second team all conference two years ago. Correct. Right. Or at least yeah. from the coaches. I don't know about from the media, but from the coaches. I'd have, yeah. I'd have a hard time putting him into a new offense, a new offensive line, new coaching after a year off and saying he's one of the best five offensive linemen on his team. Never mind on the conference. That's just, a, that's a, that's a pretty big leap for me, but I do expect he'll start and play. All right, I just wanted to ask you, uh, that was offensive line. 
there's one, there's a lot of talent coming back in the Big 12. I seriously considered Josh Sills for one of those spots. Uh, I'm I'm a believer. I think if when he's healthy, uh, he is darn good. And I guess my other somewhat surprise pick, because I think sometimes guys get forgotten when they get hurt, uh, Jack Anderson from Texas Tech. There you go. Glad you did that. Hurt last year. was an all-conference level player the year before that. He's a really good player. Yeah. The lock for me is Creed Humphrey. Yeah. Has to. No doubt about it. And then from there, yeah. Uh, I mean, I'm not, I guess I, I really can't even say that Anderson would be a lock because I wonder how many people forget about that and just don't see that he was on an all-conference team last year. Uh, Cosme from Texas Tech is like a top half of the first-round talent, too. Um, and then guys at Oklahoma. I mean, they've they recruited that line so well the last couple of years and developed guys too because they got a really good look line coach but Adrian Early is a guy who flashed and played pretty well um, like their offensive linemen like most of their first team and second team offensive linemen last year were seniors except a handful of people but and they're like honorable mention picks but and you don't think much about that except you realize that everybody in front of them was older and more experienced like there's a lot of turnover on the offensive line which kind of is maybe optimistic for West Virginia everybody's going through the same thing to some degree like you're I don't think anybody's going to have um, the same five. And I think last year, three of the 10 teams had all five starters back and two more had four of the five back. Yeah. It's remarkable. So it's going to be quite the opposite this year. But uh, so glad you mentioned Anderson. He's a big, mean guy. Humphrey's a, a lock. A sophomore center was really good. Um, and that one will kind of be like an identity crisis because there's just so many people who are going to be voting on people that they know because they cover him or knew about him recruiting or whatever. But that'll be very different, I think, at the end of the year. Uh, place kicker probably also a lock too, right? Gabe Burkich. Right. I'm okay. glad you pronounced it for me. But yeah, yeah. Um, this is my cup of tea. Of course, it's special <laughs> long teams. Long snapper? Wait, I don't think we pick long snapper, do we? <laughs> well, don't, yeah, no, we had not. One year, my petition will go through and get enough signatures. Kick returner, punt returner. It, it all depends on who you think is best at one, because no one is good at both anymore. Um, so either you're going to pick the best kick returner or the best punt returner, whoever you think is best. I picked Josh Youngblood from Kansas State. He had three touchdowns last year, and guys just kept it away from him. He doesn't have enough returns last year to check the box or to he had to check the box and qualify for anything nationally, but he did return three for touchdowns. So I don't know how you can't have him. Kenny Naguanu from Iowa State's pretty good. I don't know who the best punt returner in the Big Twelve is because punting has become such a science now that you really don't get a chance to do it very much. But um, Youngblood's my pick there. Do you have anybody else? No, I had Youngblood. Okay, that was, that was it. Player of the year. It's going to be Hubbard. Who might be second in the voting? And then fast forward five months, who's the player of the year at the end? I think to answer your first question is probably Ellinger. <clears throat> and the guys that will be in contention with Hubbard will be Ellinger and Purdy. And I mean – Again, there's probably I, I don't know how many Oklahoma fans listen to this. So there, you always have to consider an Oklahoma quarterback, especially with Lincoln Riley calling the plays and being in charge over there. But I have Rattler as my newcomer of the year. I didn't even mm-hmm. think twice about it. But I would focus my player of the year between those three players, Purdy, Ellinger, and Hubbard. Okay. Tylen Wallace would like to speak to you. It's so hard for a wide receiver to be in that uh, considered for offensive player of the year. I feel like uh, he played and, he played seven and a little bit of an eighth game. 
caught 53 passes for 903 yards and eight touchdowns. He averaged 17.4 a catch, uh, and that's with a new quarterback. I just he's always been good. Like he's always hey, produced. <laughs> Mike, you're talking to the guy. If you were on this exact yeah. podcast last Heisman. year, I picked him. I picked mm-hmm. him to be the offensive player of the year last year. When we had this conversation one year ago, I said, he's my pick for offensive preseason offensive player of the year, my, or my dark horse. And he was, I, again, he was having an amazing year, but I don't know if he was ever seriously considered because he's a wide receiver. And then of course got hurt. So kind of into the discussion anyway. Mm-hmm. I agree with you on Rattler. I think uh, Robinson at Texas could be a, a wild card. He's a top 20 recruit on a team that w- would love to find ways to use him on offense. Here's my question. West Virginia goes 9-3, and three, and Jarrett Dagey is like 27-9. and nine. Okay, Is he uh, available? Can we pick him? He redshirted last year. Okay, but he still played. But- in but, Big Twelve but, games, well, <laughs> but I wonder, like, could you do that? Because red shirts can technically be the newcomer of the year, but he's not eligible, right? I don't think so. I went through with it. I mean, I I still would have picked Rattler anyway, but yeah. I assumed that Daggy was not eligible. I just wonder about that. Like, if he has a really good year and you have a guy who started three games and technically redshirted last year, <laughs> could he do it too? Um, our first surefire West Virginia inclusion because we don't have a quarterback a running back, maybe a receiver, no tight end, no offensive lineman, no place kicker, no kick returner on our list um, of anybody who plays for West Virginia. We kind of kicked around the idea of Daggy's newcomer. You poured water on that. Thanks a lot. But <laughs> Darius Stills, for sure, defense. And then there's a lot of really good defensive linemen um, that you can go through. There's a couple at Oklahoma that are very good. Uh, Hubert's back at Kansas State. Eli Howard is somehow still eligible at Texas Tech. He's like 27 now, but he's been good for a while. Uh, Vance from Iowa State still there. They lost a bunch in the defensive line, but he's young and good. Um, uh, there's a lot of good players here, pass rushes, um, things like that, that uh, TFL guys, tackle guys too. That's a pretty thick competition. A good thing they have five people because you're going to have to have five. You have five spots here, and there's so many there that it's pretty accommodating. Yeah, and you left one off who is my Jack Anderson of the defense. Do you know who that is? Good. Jaquan Bailey. From Iowa State. Yeah, yeah. He got hurt early last year. Good pick. Yeah. He yeah. had 14 and a half in, in his, his sophomore and junior year. He had a combined 20, 25 tackles for loss, 14 and a half sacks, and then got hurt in game three last year. So he's kind of my dark horse pick to me on that. I put him in my five. Um, and still amazes me that we get to pick five defensive linemen for first mm-hmm. team all Big 12. Uh, but here's my follow up to that because you mentioned a lot of guys that I considered. Uh, I had Hubert on there, um, Bailey and Perkins from Oklahoma. Bailey's really good. He was just a sophomore last year, and he was pretty good. Um, who do you have Dante Stills on your team? Not yet. Uh, that's a guy that I think when you look at who could jump as much as anybody here because he had really good stats last year in a part-time role. I don't think he's going to be a part-time guy this year. He better not be, otherwise they're going to have a hard time with that tackle spot, but uh, I think when you look at guys on defense who could be there at the end who aren't here now, that would be one of the first names on my list. Okay. Yeah, I I had him. I was trying to decide if I was too big of a homer here, um, but I had both I had both Stills brothers on my five-man defensive line. Mm-hmm. Linebacker is similar, too, and what's weird here is that these defenses in the Big 12 are so strange that 
you kind of have a hard time determining who is a linebacker and who's not. For example, um, Malcolm Rodriguez at Oklahoma State had over 100 tackles last year. was a really productive player. But he plays that hybrid safety linebacker position, their defense. I don't know if he's a safety or a linebacker. Like, what is he? So mm-hmm. I have a linebacker. I have a safety, but not a linebacker. But I think he's a really good player. Um, he could be there. But for, for the one that I think is a lock here is Garrett Walla from TCU. And then again, there those there's only three spots here. I don't know who you put in those. You have a couple of really good candidates there. Um, Amen Ogbongamiga from Oklahoma State. Joseph Asai is still out there. Um, I mean, a bunch of good players here. Iowa State has good linebackers that are younger but are going to be back. Um, it's a pretty good position there. Um, I don't know how that shakes out. Uh, Lawrence White's a guy at Iowa State I was thinking of. Um, again, just good players that, that should be keys to their defense, but I just had a hard time because you have these guys who are hybrids and it's hard to figure out who's who and who does what. Terrell Bernard actually is the guy from Baylor. I was trying to think of his name a second. I couldn't think of, I think he was second yeah. in the conference and tackles and he's, he's a big time player, but Wallow for sure, probably Bernard, I would guess. I think he'd yeah, be a popular I pick. Have both of them. And then that third spot, it depends. Like if Rodriguez is a linebacker for you, fine. If he's a safety, put him over there. Bongamiga is still there. Um, Osai at Texas. I'm going down the list here. I mean, so good players, and again, that are going to be keys to their defenses. Yeah, I, I the linebacker. I think I had the same two. I considered Osai from Texas. Um, and again, yeah, there were a couple, like you said, Rodriguez. Right. That was. Do I put put him as a linebacker or a defensive back? I eventually put him as a defensive back. There we go. Um, but. Here's my here's my question for you on the defensive back. We, again, we get to pick five. We're mm-hmm. running with a 13-man defense uh, here in the Big 12. Did you consider anyone from West Virginia, and why was it Tyke Smith? <laughs> um, he's not there. He was right on my list. There's okay. good corners. There's good corners in the Big 12, and I just I I just kind of wait corners. Um, and but Smith would be a guy, too. Is he linebacker safety in the parlance, right? We know he's a safety. I wonder if people are going to see his numbers and do that. The one I actually thought about a little bit was trying to figure out was um was Sean Mahone. But there's good safeties. He didn't make it. But um, his miscellaneous stats on defense are just kind of strange. Um, he broke up one pass last year. Hmm. And I believe he had one interception. So that's his one pass defended. It's kind of a strange thing. Um, for a safety, you know, you figure you're going to get your hands on some balls. You're going to force some fumbles. They keep force one fumble. So it made a lot of tackles, which isn't necessarily a great thing for a deep safety, but Smith is a good, Smith is interesting. He was again, not, not right there, but he was in a handful of people that I did consider, but I just, I like corners in the big 12 and there's a bunch of them that are pretty good young, but pretty good. And again, one of those guys who could be there at the end, he vows he's going to be all American this year, right? Uh, Yeah. That's what he tweeted out the other day. So I guess all conference would have to happen before all American too. Um, any names you want to rattle off or for um, one that I've, I've always wondered about. So when I was doing this, often when I do this, I kind of get my name. I, I write down my names that I'm like, Hey, these are guys that immediately come to mind when I think of all conference side players. Then I go back and I look through the stats, write down a few other guys, and then I'll kind of peek around to other polls, other preseason, all big 12 teams to see what they say. And, you know, I, I, most part is nothing that surprises me. Uh, nothing I read from any of those changed any of my picks. But something I did notice was that there were multiple all Big 12 teams out there 
that did not have Greg Iceworth from Iowa State even mentioned. Insane. Okay, I was trying to figure out, like, because once we get to this point in the summer, and especially with everything going on in the world right now, I'm like, did I miss it? And he, like, left the team? Is he is he not on the team? Is he hurt? Is something going on? Do I not know what's going on? I mean, he's been Big 12 two years in a row, right? Like, th- that should have been, like, one of the first picks, I feel like, I, for this preseason game. I have the same process, except he was on my list of people that, okay, he's going to be on the team, right? And then I went through and I got to the part where I compared and contrasted with other ones just to give me an idea in case I forgot somebody. For example, uh, Jaquan Bailey, that's a good point. I hadn't thought about that one yet. I haven't seen him on preseason all-conference list. And I didn't have him on my list because, I honestly, I thought he was gone. Um, I knew he didn't play a whole lot last year. He completely redshirted, right? Yeah. Okay, so like that's an example of that where I came back and I was like, oh, yeah, good point. Um, and eyes wasn't on him and I had to go down the hole and I had to look. And I was like, no, he's still there. I, I mean, I thought he was the best player in their defense when he was healthy last year. So um, I think he missed just one game, though. And was it the West Virginia game? Yeah. Yeah, didn't play the West Virginia yeah, game. Yeah, it was. like, oh, man, going to be a great game for the offense here. Nope. Uh, and, and their defense is just good. Like, they're, they're so screwy with what they do. Like, I'm talking about Vance as a defensive end. He could be a linebacker, too. Um, they're just good. And that's a guy that I, I couldn't believe he wasn't there. He's, he's just the key to what they do. He does everything for them. And he runs around and makes plays. He can cover, like, a corner. He's more of a safety than anything else, but he plays that that like in the box safety, which is almost linebacker for them too. That was a definite for me. He had to be in there. Yeah, he was he was also on my like going through the list and just yep, this guy, this guy, this guy, this guy, and like I said, was nowhere to be found on a couple things. And I think Athlon had him as a second teamer, and somebody else didn't even mention him. And when they did a first and second team, and so it, it really caught me off guard. I was I was curious if I was missing something. I wanted to make sure. So I'm glad to hear you say that. that, that yeah, he was one. Good. He was one. And Colby Harrell Peel was my other one that I was like, all right, those guys I remember are really good players. They have to be in there. Peel had like an amazing year for productivity last year, kind of out of nowhere. Um, but he was involved in so much action last year that there was no way I was going to have him with my team. Uh, defensive player of the year. I'd like to discuss that if we can. Who did? Did you have a, a very clear answer for your pick? I went with Hubert, and it was hard, okay. but I went with Hubert. All right. I ha- I considered him strongly. For my first thought was Wallow from TCU. I mm-hmm. feel like he could have 150 tackles next year and really make a difference. But then I th- I thought, man, you really can't. Because I, I almost switched it to Hubert because I feel like offenses can game plan away from defensive linemen, and mm-hmm. away from certain defensive backs. Uh, because I, I want to go that direction because I feel like you need to more heavily weight those kind of disruptive plays like tackle for loss, sacks, interceptions, pass breakups. And you're not going to get too much of that from a linebacker. Uh, Wallow gets a little bit of that, but mostly he's a tackle machine. And so I considered Hubert for a long time. This was probably the biggest, you know, earlier I talked about trying to have a hard time with that third wide receiver, but defensive player of the year was the spot where I spent the most of my time debating between Mm. like four different guys. My number two is Osworth. Uh Uh-huh. And maybe your number one, but like the guy that I had a hard time um, disqualifying, I mean, I picked Hubert, but like the person I was, I just think Hubert's going to get you like 12 sacks and a bunch of tackles for a loss and going to do enough on what's probably going to be a bad team, but that doesn't disqualify a defensive player. I don't think for individual stuff, but um, I thought Isaac would have been like a number two guy because he's going to get you like 70 tackles and TFLs and pass breakups and interceptions. And that's going to be 
again, they lost players in the defensive line. They get some back too, but they're going to be good, I think. Um, but that would have been my number two right there for sure. Yeah, I, I was the same way. I had I was going back and forth between Eisworth, Hubert, uh, Wallow, and this is one that was on that that kind of the second step of my process. I, I, I remember a TCU safety, but Trayvon Mo, Morig. Morig, yeah, good player. Mm-hmm. Um, apparently, uh, you know, according to Pro Football Focus, ranked out as the best safety in all of college football last year and one of the top three safety performances of any player in the like this century. Just something insane. Now, I'm not don't want to go entirely off those kind of scout things, but then you go back and look, and he put up some good stats too. Uh, teams are going away from him uh, again, according to Pro Football Focus. So it. I couldn't pick him because it, I, I can't pick a defensive player of the year that I, I can't even think of his name off the top of my head that I'm going <laughs> off the scout stuff. I, I feel like you have to at least make a big enough difference that people will know your name. Um, and maybe more people should, because he obviously did well and I have him on my first team, but uh, he was somebody kind of right outside that top four or five that again, for the most part, most of these people on my team were part of the guys I just thought of in thin air with a pen and a paper, uh, but he was not, and and maybe he should be. Um, I, I like him a lot. I mean, and that's a, a, the way they do their defense. It's it's it could be hard to stay away from a guy like him because they have him float around and do so many things. And um, yeah, he's good. He's in my he's one of the guys in my pick that I picked my defensive back. But player of the year is interesting. I wonder what, like a safety what they would have to do to win that like you got to get a number of stats i would think beyond just tackles because again tackles for a safety can be kind of empty um yeah. chris you've done your homework clearly on this very impressive <laughs> um here's the test defensive newcomer of the year oh because now, was, it's, was that it's on hard. the thing yeah oh see that wasn't on my thing or else i didn't fill it out so now you got me thinking perhaps go, on, go ahead um it's so hard to project because there are there are some big time defensive recruits in the 2020 class that you just think, oh man, imagine that guy flying off the edge. But it just doesn't happen. Like so, defensive end doesn't come in and get you nine sacks unless he's a freak, and you don't see that very often. I'm try- I was trying to think in my head who was the guy who played for TCU and got kicked off the team, but he was a monster defensive end a couple of years ago where he just all he did was just scream around the corner and sack people. I can't remember his name. But he ended up getting into trouble, getting kicked off the team. Um, I think he tried to bounce around to another school and it just didn't work. But I just remember him being just a, a terror, but that type of guy who could come in and play right away. And his name eludes me here, and I wish I could think of it here. Do you know who I'm talking about? Um, not Banigou. Uh, I'm trying. Devontae yeah, I know, Fields. I think, was he not a, was he a freshman or was he a transfer? Devontae Fields? Yeah. No, he was. Here we go. Uh, 2012. He had 10 sacks as a true freshman. He was the defensive player or the Big 12, the newcomer on defense of the year. So, mm. uh, and then just disappeared, got in trouble, and never made it back. But it's it's a rarity when a guy comes in and does something like that. And then you're like, all right, well, you know, who could be a linebacker or whatever? We talked about there's a bunch of really good linebackers in the conference. A corner, a safety. Yeah, there are some possibilities there, too. Um, I really went outside the box here. I remember TCU getting Jacquez Sorrells who is like a five-star defensive tackle, didn't play last year. They have a need. Um, he's a redshirt freshman. He can really go. Uh, but also, Bud Clark is a big-time defender who's going to fit in that defense that TCU plays somewhere. He could be a corner. 
they might need some help there. It might be hard for him to get in the field at safety, but I mean, he can, he can, he lit up all the circuits in the, in the, the recruiting summers. And it just seems like he has potential to do something somewhere. Is he a corner? Is he safety? Is he a nickel? We'll find out. But um, I think my pick is going to come from TCU just because one's a defensive tackle who's redshirted and one's a guy who's going to, I think matter somewhere. And, TCU has a way of making guys play and matter in their freshman year. Well, you're not going to get any picks from me. I'm scrolling through the uh, transfer portal now, see if there's anybody coming in. Yeah, because typically, not typically, a lot Mm -hmm. of times the guys that are going to make the difference, the immediate impacts are going to be those transfer guys, going to be those junior college guys. And quite honestly, there aren't that many. Um, Slim. Mm -hmm. Not very many guys coming in. Uh, on the transfer market that are eligible right away uh, that I think will be like, hey, that guy's going to make a difference and, and a big difference in the league. So, um, hmm. I think Taj Austin might have had a chance last year. Yeah. And I'm just finishing up my welcome party for the transfers. So the most recent transfer is the most recent addition I did. Tell me what I'm missing about Joseph Bolotopelli because what I see is impact stuff. Well, the the reports we got from down in Raleigh were that all the potential in the world is there and he would do great stuff in practice. He would have these moments that really just stunned the coaches. But once he got on the field, it was a little more hit and miss, a, a great play followed up by a missed assignment uh, and then another missed assignment and then a great play and then disappearing for a, a series and then uh, you know, a great play. So I think that kind of inconsistency is is really what doomed him there at NC State. Played his high school career, two high schools, spent two years in college, played as a true freshman, coaching change, got a new defensive coordinator. I mean, he played, but he redshirted, um, but still played. Um, coaching change, new defensive coordinator for a sophomore year. He starts, he gets hurt. Um, the team advances without him. He doesn't fit back in. So four schools in five years, troublesome, but evidently grew up really fast. Growth spurt, got big, long. He's got a 6'10 wingspan, and when you watch him play, he explodes through stuff. He knows what he's doing. It just seems like this is, a again, one of these low-risk things that has great reward at the end because if he's got three years here, holy cow. Like That's a lot to work with for a guy who's already done a lot and is probably just dying to have some sort of continuity and to be in the same spot and to keep his feet in the ground and, you know, Enough moving around, enough like changing scenery and changing the parts around you here too. So, him and Jordan Leslie for a couple of years—that seems like a big deal to me. But I wonder. The question with him is: Is he going to play this year? I'm guessing they're going to petition and try to get a waiver for him. And then he's your third defensive end. Maybe he does some stuff at defensive tackle. He's six four, two sixty five. He could probably play defensive tackle if he wanted him to. But why couldn't he get you six sacks and ten TFLs and just kind of give you like a flash off the edge? Because it just seems like. If you're saying, hey, you're going to play 15 snaps a game, go 108 miles an hour, I think you could probably do that. So is, is that your new pick? Kool-Aid. <laughs> uh, I just came across one in, in five minutes of, of research here. On, on the cuff. <laughs> uh, William Bradley King will be my pick, I guess. Um, Baylor, transfer from Arkansas State. Obviously not my pick. I like I said, I don't recall that being on the list, but I'll I'll put it. I'll do some research and make one if it's there. But he is somebody that's coming in eligible immediately from Arkansas State, and last year had 50 tackles, eight and a half sacks, and forced three fumbles um, in his time there. So it's somebody who's made a difference at a decent school and coming into Big 12. 
at Baylor where he has a spot where he'll likely start right away. So it's somebody to know for that spot. And if Dave Aranda likes you, he went out and got you, you probably got considerable bona fides there. Last one, Chris, we'll wrap up. Uh, Two players representing the team during media days. There's no method to this, but I'm assuming one offense, one defense here. Who do you pick? Who do I pick or who do I think it's going to be? Who does Neil Brown pick? TJ Simmons and Darius Stills. Oh, dang. Is that the same one? Yeah. Yeah. Simmons for sure. I mean, they've literally made him the voice of of the offense of the team with his voiceovers and videos and things like that. And Stills is their best player. So um, that makes sense to me. Um, So that's who Neil Brown would pick. Who would you take there? That's a better question. Here's the thing. I I would take Darius Stills. That's one. Uh, I don't. I don't disagree. He's really fun to talk to, man. Yeah, like I think he'd be a great talk. Is pretty cool. A great talk and best player. So that that's two for two. He's in for me. The other problem, the the other side of the ball, because I, I agree there. I think there should be one offense, one defense, and I would go with a quarterback. Problem is, I guess we're going to continue with the we don't know who the quarterback is angle here. So you can't pick one because obviously if you pick one, then you're tipping your hand a bit. So I guess you do. I guess I would go Simmons too. I, I just not sure because I'm not sure. I mean, is Simmons? This is and this is no offense to Simmons. Again, this is um, we. I, I've said that wide receiver is one of the deepest position groups on the team. I don't think anybody's disputing that. But is Simmons even the best receiver? Is he mm-hmm. even the second best receiver? Third? fourth so and it it, you don't have to be the best to be going to junior days Uh, it's a reward for a lot of different things but I'd like to try to get my two best players out there two well-spoken players out there and Simmons certainly hits that he's well-spoken he's got a great personality and he's a good player he's gonna be a contributor it's not like he's some bench player but um, I I guess I'd end up with the two it was easy for me to pick the two that I think Neil Brown's going to pick, it wasn't quite as easy for me to settle on the same two for if, if I was picking. This is terrible. I agree completely. Oh, like if, no. if I had to pick, like, if I was in charge, like, all right, who are the two best representatives? I mean, they would probably be the two they're going to pick, too. Now, as the reporter, and if I want the best stuff from my notebook, darn it, those are the two again. <laughs> like, that's the worst part about this. So they got this, so they got this covered, too. So now, selfishly, because I want to make this a conversation, too, here. Um, Sam James is a lot of fun to talk to and like is open, honest about stuff. And I, I want to re- reiterate this too. He told us that like he went and saw a sports psychologist last year to go through his um, issues with dropping the ball and, and putting too much pressure on himself. That's a revelation you're not going to get from a lot of people, but I, th- I just think he's that comfortable talking about stuff like that. Um, my other pick would be Ollie Jennings. I love talking to him the one time we did, and I could have gotten really used to that. I thought he was pretty cool to talk to um, defensively. Uh, Dante Stills is pretty cool. Um, never had an issue talking with him. He's um, a lot like his brother, I guess, too, but just a little bit different, which is fine. They're they're obviously from you know, the same the same household growing up, so it's not a surprise they're together too. And then you got a bunch of people who like I've never really talked to before or had a lot to do with, but Jeffrey Pooler is one of those guys that's always engaging and has a really good story in his life about you know he was just a guy for a while and then played defensive line last year. I mean, as well as anybody on the team, he was, I mean, next to Darius Stills was probably their best defensive player. Is that right? By the end of the season last year, 
he's a lot of fun to talk to. I like him a lot. That would be my, I guess, my third pick because <laughs> um, mm-hmm. I think they got the right two. But guys like Pooler and and James are have a lot to say and will have a lot to do with what happens on the field. And then a guy like Ali Jennings, I said, was just really insightful to talk to that one time. And the small number of conversations I've had with Tyke Smith, I thought he was a pretty, a pretty bright kid who didn't seem like he was too used to it, but didn't really hold back and, and like not say things because he was afraid. So which is probably like the way he plays too. Doesn't know a whole lot, but he's not afraid either. Yeah. Uh, Mike, again, this is like the fourth time this has happened where we completely agree on things and, and we're really going to have to, uh, you know, create some hostility between the two of us and, and argue about things uh, next time around. Well, what special teamers would you bring? <laughs> That's uh, another let me guess. Two, two long snappers. That's who I'd bring. There you you go. gotta have two. Don't forget. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, we'll just close with one more question, Chris. Uh-huh. What's your favorite flavor Trisket? <laughs> That's all for this time. We will see you next time for earsports.com. I'm Mike Casaza. And I'm Chris Anderson. We'll talk to you later.